Well, uh, good morning. It's good to see you guys. A powerful story that uh, Dean shared, and thanks, uh, Dean, for being willing to open your life like that. And uh, we're sharing these kinds of stories throughout the series because uh, it's just a great reminder for all of us to see that God is at work in our lives, and He works in a variety of ways in a variety of instances in our lives. And uh, I hope that that was encouraging to you in some way. Uh, Thanks for uh, Chase being here to lead worship. Uh, Josh uh, has the day off, and uh, Chase is here to lead worship, and so we really appreciate him and the incredible job that he's done all morning uh, in leading us in worship. So uh, thanks to him. Well, I was uh, thinking about a couple of years ago, our family was in uh, California on vacation, and we visited Sequoia National Park. While we were there, um, we uh, took a trail that uh, was a pretty steep incline a long way up, and uh, there were some places where steps were carved out of the rocks, and other places you just had to kind of navigate. The trails were narrow. There was a pretty good-sized drop-off in some places, and uh, you know, being the incredible athlete that I am, um, I had to rest several times on the way up, and uh, finally made it to the top. A lot of effort, you know, all the time you're thinking, I hope this is worth it when we get up there. And when we got up there, uh, we saw a view something like this of the Great Western Divide, and it was absolutely breathtaking. And when you stood there and you looked around at the majesty of what God had created, there was no doubt that every ounce of energy that we had used to get up there was absolutely worth it. Last week we began talking about what would happen if we elevated our lives. What if we take our lives to the next level and we change our perspective, change our view on life? As I look at the book of Acts and the early Christ followers there, I think that's exactly what had happened to them. They were doing some things that it seems caused them to live their lives at a whole different level. And so we're exploring their stories and seeing if there are some things in their story that we could apply to our lives that would elevate our way of seeing life. You know, you look at their lives and even amidst life's difficulties and struggles, there was this sense of joy and gladness, this a sense of generosity and passion that was pervasive in their lives. And when I look at their lives, I can't help but think, I want my life to be like that. So as I said, we're looking at some tools and some attitude changes from their story that we can apply to our lives. We began last week by noticing that one of their regular habits was to study the words of God. Or for us today, it would be to study, to read the Bible. And my encouragement was we ought to read the Bible every day, even if it's only a verse or two. But so that what's written in the pages of that book gets from the book into our minds and our hearts and our actions. And I made a pretty straightforward uh, suggestion to you last week and challenged you to commit to read the Bible every single day of the week. And so I want to have a moment of accountability here and just ask you, uh, how many of you followed through and this week you read your Bible every day? Quite a few of you. That's great. Way to go. You're seeing the blessing of that. For those of you who missed a few days or you didn't get started like you intended, that's okay. Tomorrow's a fresh start. And uh, you can start again at trying to read your Bible every day. When was the last time you were on an elevator? I uh, had the opportunity to be on an elevator several times this week in a very public building. And uh, you know people act funny on elevators. Have you noticed that? And maybe when you're on an elevator and it's really loaded with people, you feel a bit awkward yourself. I mean, you're kind of not sure what to do. Maybe do I carry on a conversation? Do I stand there quietly? People are invading my space and I don't like that. Let's be honest, sometimes maybe people in the elevator, they don't smell all that good. Or maybe they've tried too hard to smell good with perfume or cologne. And hey, it's just, it's just awkward, isn't it? 
Well, I googled the words elevator etiquette this week and discovered there are over two million websites. All kinds of people have an opinion about how you are supposed to behave on an elevator. In fact, one guy has uh, made a suggestion of some things that you can do if you want to be annoying to other people while you're riding the elevator. Uh, He suggests you can try this. Feel free. Just don't blame me. Um, He says, whistle the first seven notes of It's a Small World incessantly. And that would bother me. Second suggestion, I think I can say this in church. One word, he says, flatulence. Uh, He suggests you try giving religious tracts to each passenger as they enter the elevator. I'm sure that'll go over big. Uh, Try starting a sing-along. Go ahead and try that. See if people will follow along with you. Uh, He says, uh, draw a little square on the floor with chalk and announce to the other passengers that this is your personal space. Please keep out. Sure, that'll go over well. And one more. If anyone brushes against you, recoil and holler, bad touch, bad touch. Like I said, feel free to give those a try this week. You know, an elevator, I think, is a microcosm of life. On an elevator, you meet a variety of different kinds of people with a wide spectrum of issues and needs. And there's not really time to connect. And if we're truthful, we don't really have much desire to really connect. Because we're only concerned about getting to our floor, getting to where we're going, and getting off the elevator. And that's life. We meet a variety of different kinds of people with a wide spectrum of issues and needs. And we think to ourselves, I don't have time to really connect with them. And if we're honest, we say to ourselves, I don't really desire to connect with them. Because I'm just worried about getting through the day, getting to where I'm going, and getting off the elevator. But what if we changed our perspective? What if we learned some new elevator etiquette and discovered that the elevator ride has a way of elevating our lives? What if we discovered that the secret is not in the ride, the secret is in who rides with us? I think that's what the Christ followers that we find in the book of Acts had discovered for their lives. That it wasn't about the ride, it's about who rides with us. In fact, if you look at their story in Acts chapter 4, you discover that they are all about other people. That the focus is not on me, the focus is on others. Listen to some of the things that are written about these early Christ followers in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he has need. You see, their lives were filled with joy and gladness and generosity and passion. Because I think they had discovered life was not all about me and my life. That it was equally about serving others along the way. They had gotten rid of elevator thinking. And they had begun to see life from a different perspective. And if you study on through the book of Acts, you see this attitude woven through their lives over and over again. 
Well, guess what? Jesus teaches a similar thing. In fact, He teaches in a story to be a good neighbor. He teaches us about recognizing that, it's, that it is about the people who are on the elevator with us. In fact, He teaches this in an, an incredible story that probably is the most famous story in the Bible called the Good Samaritan. In fact, even people who don't go to church very much, if you sell them talk about a Good Samaritan, they know what that term means. Well, that story is recorded in Luke chapter 10. And if you've got your Bible today, I want to encourage you to open it up right now and to find the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then if you get to John, you've gone too far. We're going to be in chapter 10. Let me say to you again this week, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the tables as you came in this morning at the entrances. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up. It's our gift to you. Take it home with you. Try reading it some this week. And when you come back next week, uh, bring it with you so that you can study along with us. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here's how the story begins as Jesus tells it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered with words that he had been reciting since he was a little boy probably. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This attorney wants to know what's the fine print in the contract. Who exactly, Jesus, is my neighbor? Is my neighbor just the people that live in the houses right around mine? Is my neighbor the people in my zip code? Is my neighbor who, the people who ride the elevator of life with me? Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? But you know what? This, this lawyer wants to make it complex and philosophical. Jesus wanted to make it very simple and practical. And so Jesus tells this amazing story that follows in these verses. And the story goes like this. You probably know it. There was a man who decided to make a trip from Jericho to Jerusalem, which is about a 17-mile trip through some very rocky desert land that was known to be dangerous. As he is making this trip, he is attacked by some robbers who beat him up, leave him half dead, naked and bleeding alongside the road, take his possessions, and head on their way. Not long after, a priest happens by. He sees the man, but he decides to cross to the other side of the road and continue on his journey. Another religious type, a Levite, happens along. He also sees the man, but does the exact same thing, crosses to the other side, and keeps on going. But then a Samaritan, of all people, someone whose culture hated Jewish people, sees this half-dead, naked, bleeding man lying alongside the road, and he of all people stops to help him and to care for him. And Jesus indicates, Jesus says, that's a good neighbor. That's what a good neighbor looks like. And I think there are some particular things in this story that this Samaritan does that make him a good neighbor. And I want to spend a few minutes pointing these out to you. First, I think... His example shows us that good neighbors see people in need. They see people in need. Look at verse 33. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. You see, the, the Levite and the priest and the Samaritan were asking two very different questions. The priest and the Levite were asking, what will happen to me if I stop to help him? And I get that question, don't you? I've asked that question many times in my life. What will happen to me if I stop and get involved in this situation? Will it mess up my schedule? Will it cost me something? Will I be at risk? If I stop to help, am I going to get beat up myself? I understand his question. And I bet you do too, because I bet there have been many times in all of our lives We've asked exactly that question. What will happen to me if I get involved? But the Samaritan, when he happens across this half-dead, naked, and bleeding man, asks a very different question. He asks, what will happen to him if I don't stop to help? That's a very different question. It takes a very different perspective and a very different attitude. For the Samaritan, it was not about what's going to happen to me. It's about what will happen to him. And that is a very different perspective. Do you notice that it says about this Samaritan that when he saw him, he took pity on him. That concept of taking pity on him is the idea of deepest empathy. It's the language of something that would come from deep within inside you that would cause you to come alongside this man in his pain. Not only does he see the need, he has pity. And that comes from deep within us. Which question do you ask? What's going to happen to me if I get involved? Or what's going to happen to him if I get involved? You know what, if you're like me, there are a lot of times that I see those kinds of needs, but I ignore them. Sometimes I choose to walk to the other side. Sometimes I don't even see them. If I'm really honest this morning, I struggle with this. I can be a self-absorbed jerk sometimes and not even see the needs of people around me. I, I want you to watch this video. And I want you, you have to, for, to really appreciate it, you have to fully participate, okay? So they're going to give you some instructions on the screen. You follow those instructions and watch the video and participate, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about it. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? All right, be honest now. How many of you didn't see the bear the first time? 
You know what? You're not in the minority. In fact, studies show that in tests like that, 61% of the people don't see the bear. There's another one that has a gorilla in it. They don't see the bear or the gorilla. Because it's easy to concentrate sometimes maybe on the wrong things and miss what's happening right in front of us. The Samaritan, he sees the man in me. He sees this Jewish man who is half dead, naked and bleeding, and he has pity of them. And you know what that requires? That requires getting beyond ourselves and seeing what is really happening all around us. We've uh, tried to make this Elevate series a little bit interactive. And so uh, on our Crosspoint Facebook group page, we've uh, been emailing out some questions each week before the message and letting you kind of respond. And that's guided my study and my thoughts a little bit. Somebody asked a, a great question, a great insight this week, and they made this statement. They said, you know, when, I, when it comes to meeting the needs of others, a way that I really struggle is meeting the needs or seeing the needs of people who are different than me. And you know, if we're honest, probably a lot of us struggle with that as well. But isn't it interesting in this story that Jesus uses as His example of a good neighbor a Samaritan who interacts with a Jew? And believe me, they did not like each other. And so for this Samaritan to stop to help a Jew was very, very far outside of his comfort zone. And for us, if we're going to see the needs of people around us and really move to respond to them, it will often challenge us to step far outside of our comfort zone to really be the kind of good neighbor that Jesus describes. Here's the second thing that I noticed in this story. Notice next, this guy got his hands dirty. Verse 34 says at the beginning of it, He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I mean, he gets right in there and attacks the wounds of this guy and gets his hands messy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever come upon an accident scene, I always hope there are other people that get there before I do. Especially if there are people that are badly injured and would need like CPR or something. Because my method of wanting to do CPR would be something like this. One, two, three. You know, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get my hands messy. But you know what? If we're going to get involved in meeting the needs of the world around us, we'll have to get our hands messy. The people business is a messy business. And the Samaritan is willing to get right in there. Even if it required getting involved in a way that he didn't really want to. And if we're going to really be serious about being a good neighbor and about having some new elevator etiquette, then it will mean sometimes getting our hands messy and getting involved in some ways that maybe we're not necessarily comfortable with. Kitty Genovese Back in 1964, which was the year I was born, so it was a long time ago. But uh, she uh, came home. Hey, some of you are really shocked that I was born that year, weren't you? You're going, do you think he was that old? Yeah, he really is. Um, so that has nothing to do with the story, and I don't even know why I went on that little sidetrack. Um, anyway, she came home from work. Late at night, she was a bartender, so it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. She parked in a normal parking spot, and it was about 30 yards to her front door. And as she was walking there, she heard some steps behind her, made her uncomfortable. So she tried to walk faster to get to a police call box. But before she could get there, a man grabbed her from behind and stabbed her. She immediately began to scream at the top of her lungs, Help me! Help me! And there were some lights that went on in apartments around her. And one guy even screamed out the window, Let, let her alone! Don't bother that girl! But nobody, nobody stepped outside their apartment. 
Well, the man took off when, they, when somebody screamed at him, went back towards his car. She continued to struggle towards her door, but in a moment when all the lights had gone back off, this man attacked her a second time, grabbed her, and stabbed her again. This time she screamed even louder, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And again, lights came on and he fled, but nobody left the safety of their apartment. She somehow managed to get inside the apartment building, but collapsed on the floor. And a few moments later, when darkness had returned, the man came back again and the third time accomplished his goal of killing her. Now, isn't it incredible that there were people all around that knew that she was under attack, but nobody was willing to leave the safety of their apartment and get involved? In fact, people were later asked, why didn't you come to her rescue? Why didn't you come and help her? And the response? I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to get my hands dirty. And sometimes we have watched people around us who are in need and we simply have refused to get involved because we didn't want to get our hands dirty. There's another thing that I noticed. I think this good neighbor also demonstrates that a good neighbor will be willing to be inconvenienced. Look at the second part of verse 34. And when he saw her, I'm sorry, then he put the man on his donkey took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, do you think that was convenient for him? Do you think that, uh, that before this man left on his trip, that he said to his wife, you know, that morning, hey, honey, I've got to go down to, to uh, Jericho for a couple of days. I've got a business deal that I've got to close down. Shouldn't be gone long. By the way, would you pray for me? Would you ask God that while I'm on this trip, He caused me to see some half-dead, naked, bleeding guy alongside the road, and I have to stop and help him? I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. I'm pretty sure this guy was doing exactly what we do. He was just living life. And suddenly in the midst of life, there was this man. And he had to make a choice. He had to make a choice. Do I stop and help or do I just keep going like others have? Trust me, it was not the convenient thing to do. It was not part of his plan. But he made the choice to help. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times that I come across situations and it doesn't fit into my plans. It's not convenient. But you know what needs to happen? I need to get to the place where I think less of myself and more of others. That life is less about me and my life and it is more about meeting the needs of others. You know what? It's not about whether or not I get recognized, whether or not somebody says thank you to me, whether or not I feel appreciated. It's about valuing others more than myself, even when it is not convenient for me. Here's another lesson that I see in this story. The good neighbor gave his money. Look at verse 35. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, scholars say, the commentaries say, that, that those two silver coins were probably the equivalent of at least two weeks' worth of wages for this man that he takes out of his own pocket and invests in the care of a Jewish guy that he had never met before. Now, in this guy's case, he involves himself first and later involves his money. Sometimes it may happen the opposite. Sometimes we may invest our money in the needs of other people and then invest ourselves. But either way, that kind of investment in people will elevate our lives and will change our perspective and view 
there's another lesson that I notice in this story. It happens more at the beginning. I notice immediately in the story, the Samaritan got off his donkey and helped this guy. And maybe it'd be a good idea in our life sometimes if we get off our donkey and help the people who are in need around us. You're just glad I didn't translate from the King James, okay? You know what? This guy helps. And at the end of the story, Jesus says this to the lawyer. He says, now that you've heard my story, now that I've explained to you what a good neighbor is, I want you to go and do likewise. And what Jesus says to the lawyer, He would say to every one of us, now that you've seen what a good neighbor looks like, now go and do likewise. In fact, the verb tense there could be translated, go and keep on doing likewise. You want to elevate your life? You want to change your perspective and change your view? Then learn some new elevator etiquette. And be reminded that it's not just about the ride through life. That the secret is found in those who ride with us and investing ourselves in them. We do have time to connect. We ought to have the desire to connect. And we need to see people around us the way that the Samaritans saw this half-dead, naked, bleeding man. As someone not to be ignored because they were a nuisance but someone to be taken care of because they were someone worthy of being loved and cared for. Would you pray with me? God, would You help us to have Your heart about people around us? God, would You help us to learn some new elevator etiquette? God, remind us that as we bump into, as we ride the elevator through life with the wide variety of people with all kinds of needs and issues. God, help us to desire to connect with them. Help us to see them the way that You do. Help us to love them like You love us and the way that You love them. God, help us to not see them as inconvenient. God, to see them as people worthy of our investment. God, would You help us to be the kind of good neighbors that Jesus described. And Father, as we become that, I know You'll keep Your promise to change our perspective on life. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.